Easter, Easter really is or should be about a fresh start, about newness, about uh, new beginnings. You know, if we were to ask today, how many of you have a new costume on or a new outfit or shoes, probably among the female persuasion, there would be some that would. Uh, that would, I think Easter happens once a month at my house, but uh, that wasn't good, was it? Uh, uh, But where did the idea of getting a new outfit for Easter come from? Did it come from Dillard's or from Macy's or Wall Street? No, it actually started in the Middle Ages. Now, if you've ever done any history studying, the Middle Ages does not uh, normally strike you as a GQ time. But here's, here's how the new outfits kind of began. In, in the Middle Ages, in Europe, obviously, especially parts of Europe, it was very cold in the winter. So if you became a Christian late fall through the winter, they did not baptize you. They did not have heated baptismals and all that stuff. So they would wait till the spring. Now, I don't know about you. I would not want to get baptized in Louisiana outside today, much less places in Europe. But certainly in the Middle Ages, they were tougher uh, than we were. So what they would do on Easter, they would have a big baptismal service. And in a lot of times, poor people, you would only have one or two sets of clothes to begin with. So you'd wear your clothes. They would baptize you. And then you would get a brand new outfit. The church would buy you a brand new set of clothes that you would put on. We're going to do that next year. And I bet you we'll baptize 200 people on Easter Sunday. But they would wear these new clothes. And then the the church, they would go through the villages and through the towns with these new clothes on saying, Jesus has changed my life. I have a new life. And the clothes were representative of a a new life in Christ. Really, it's pretty cool. And that's what I want to talk about today is the freshness, the fresh opportunity that Jesus Christ wants to give you and me this morning. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. If you have a, a Bible, if you don't, that's no problem. The scriptures will be on the screen. But here's our first thing. We got it. We got to get this right. We got to get this figured out uh, before anything else is going to matter. And that's his Jesus arose from the grave. Jesus Christ arose from the grave. Well, you may be here this morning. You may be a skeptic and that's awesome. I am so glad you're here. Uh, and I want to try in the next 10 minutes to convince you uh, about that uh, as we move forward in our sermon. And I may need to meet with you for lunch for six months to try to convince you of that. But The resurrection and the idea of Jesus coming back to life, even people who are skeptical have heard about it, have thought about it, have wrestled with it. There was a man and his wife and mother-in-law that went to Jerusalem, went on a Holy Land tour. The mother-in-law was like 88, but she was in pretty good health. But while they were there in Jerusalem, she died, passed away in her sleep. So the the man began to talk to the American embassy and as well as uh, uh, the Jewish people in Jerusalem about what he needed to do. And here's what they told him. They said, you can bury your mother-in-law here in the Holy Lands, which would be awesome, for $150. We'll get you a minister to come and do it for you. Or you can fly your mother-in-law home. It's going to take two weeks of red tape, and it's going to cost you $5,000. Without batting an eye, the man said, I will pay the $5,000. And the guy, you know, he kind of warm and fuzzy. He goes, oh, man, you really love your mother-in-law, don't you? And he goes, no. He goes, 2,000 years ago, they buried a dude here, and he came back to life. And I'm not taking that chance on my mother-in-law. Now, I certainly don't feel that way about my mother-in-law. But verse 3 and 4 of chapter 15. 
for what I received. I passed on to you as of first importance. In other words, Christianity rises and falls on this. You have nothing, you have nothing without it. You have everything. In fact, your whole life is challenged at this point, if this is true. That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the, the Scriptures. Well, again, the, the question of the hour is, is did he... Uh, did he die? Did he come back alive? Uh, it says there that he died. That was a verb that he was buried. Another, uh, a, a verb there. Folks, I want to tell you, if, you, if you're here this morning, again, if you're, you're an atheist, an agnostic, I am so glad you're here. You're in the right place. If you don't believe anything about the Bible, you could go and study just, just ancient history. And what you would find out is that a man named Jesus lived, uh, a man named Jesus from Nazareth who claimed to be the Christ, and he was crucified. That, that is a, a literal fact. A New Testament scholar, now this seems kind of oxymoronic, a New Testament scholar named Gerard Ludeman at Vanderbilt University, he is an atheist. Now, being a New Testament scholar and being an atheist is like being a doctor but not believing in bodies. You know, I'm a cardiologist, but I don't believe in hearts or what. I mean, how, how crazy. But he is an atheist and, quote, a scholar in the New Testament. Here's what he said. It is a literal fact that Jesus Christ Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross. Jesus did die. That's, that's not even arguable. He did die. Did he come back to life is the thing we're trying to figure out. And again, throughout history, there have been empty tombs. There have been spotted. People have been pronounced dead and seen on TV. This is even recent years, you know, uh, at a ball game or something. So, so because someone is supposed to be dead or even that person literally died, did they come back to life? This is a true story. In Minnesota, Several years ago, it's probably about 20 years ago, there was a man who worked for his religious denomination. And part of his job was when, when small churches would have funerals that didn't have pastors, he would go and perform the funeral ceremonies. And so he rode, one day he rode way out in the country, I mean, for, for several hours with the funeral home director. They conducted the service, they had a lunch, and then on the way back, and this is true, it's creepy, he got tired and he asked the funeral home director, do you mind if I crawl in the back of the hearse and sleep? Now, I don't know about you, I'm going to sleep there in the front seat. I, I don't need to crawl in the back of the hearse. But he crawls in the back of the hearse and he goes to sleep. He wakes up there at a gas station. He's laying in the back of the hearse. And there's a guy, you know, 27 years ago, that's pumping the car full of gas. And the guy's kind of looking in the hearse like you would too. And he sees this guy sit up and knock on the window. And he said that guy ran faster than he had ever seen a human being run in his life. That guy didn't come back to life, did he? No, he didn't come back to life. Did, did Jesus come back to life? Now, if you're taking notes, this is very important. In verse 4, when it says Jesus was raised from the dead, what it means is literally, physically, bodily, Jesus got up and he walked out of the tomb. This is not his spirit, ooh, you know, or this is like a Casper the ghost thing. It, what, the, what the biblical word here is it literally means a physical resurrection of the body. Jesus dead got up and walked out of the tomb. Did it take place? Well, in verse 5, it's, it says, He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Now, I'm going to talk more about this later. But I, these guys, now this is very important. They were not expecting him to come back to life. They should have been. He had been telling them, I'm coming back to life. But they didn't believe it. They didn't buy into it. They didn't understand it. They were not expecting him to come back to life. 
There's a huge difference in someone who has bet a lot of money on something to happen or got a lot of belief it's going to happen and it happening versus someone and these other disciples. They did not believe that it was going to happen. In verse 6, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Again, very important note. 1 Corinthians... Obviously, it was written to the people in Corinth. They did not believe that, that, that a body could be resurrected. So he's having to make a strong point to people who were skeptics to begin with. The letter is written 20 to 25 years after the death and resurrection of Christ. So one of the things he's challenging them, he's saying, listen, I'm laying this out to you. Some of the people who saw Jesus, 500 at one time saw him. 515 in awe saw him, 10 different appearances after he came to back life. Some touched him, some ate with him. Over 500 saw him, over 500 at one time. Here's what he challenged him. If you don't believe me, go and see them. Now, how many of you here remember in 1991 the first Gulf War? How many of you remember that? You may have been young. That was really the first war on TV. I mean, you could actually watch where bombs were dropped on buildings, and uh, I'm not saying that's good, but that was real. If someone came in here today and said, hey, Iraq never invaded Kuwait, and America didn't, didn't fight them at that time, you know what? You'd pat them on the back and say, we need to get you somewhere that's nice and quiet, because either you're, you're dishonest, or you're dumb. Uh, the, the Gulf War did happen. Many of us remember it. And it wouldn't be hard to find veterans who fought in that war. That's what he's saying about this. He's saying there are many people alive that saw Jesus back then. Now, verse 7, he says, and he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Who's this James? This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who, by the way, was not even a Christian until this resurrection. So he's saying, listen, here's another guy. Wasn't even a follower of Jesus. Something happened that changed his, his course. He becomes a great leader of Christianity. And Paul says in verse 8, And last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. Listen, Paul, Paul hated Jesus, hated Christianity. He didn't believe in the resurrection until he had an encounter with the risen Jesus. He, what he's saying, he's laying out, all these people were skeptical. All these people didn't believe it was were, it going to happen, and it happened. How many of you know who Harry Houdini was? Harry Houdini was a great magician. He died on October 31st, many years ago, I think in the 20s. Halloween Day. For many years, Houdini's followers he had kind of a cult would come to his tomb expecting him to walk out of the grave. They believed Houdini was going to pull off the greatest trick of all time. He was going to come out of his grave. Now, how many of you have ever met one person who said, my grandpa saw Houdini after he died. None of us have. They were expecting it, believing it, wanting it to happen. And, and believe you me, if it would have, we would have known about it. These people didn't believe it was going to happen, and it did happen. I, I read a report from a, a, a professor who happens to be a Christian professor named Michael Coney, and he said this. He said he studied 600 pages of documents for and against the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said, if you're going to be objective, if you're going to be truly a scholar, you cannot walk away from that without accepting historically that Jesus Christ came back to life. Now, I want to point you back to verse 4 again. 
Verse 4 says he was buried and he was raised on the third day. The New Testament was originally written in Greek, and and their their language is a lot more expressive than ours. And that word raised, in that one word raised, it literally means a bodily resurrection. But listen to me, here's what it means. It means that he came back to life to never die again. Now, this is huge. In, In other words, it means that Jesus Christ came back to life, and he is still alive today. Folks, no one has ever pulled that off. There are instances in the Bible where Jesus brought back people to life, but you know what? They died later on. And so what that, what that means to you and me is it means this. Either it's true or it's not true. If it's not true, let's go home. But if it is true, and I believe without a shadow of a doubt it's true, Jesus Christ came back to life, and he's still alive today. Now, folks, here's some even better news. This isn't just a cool theological concept. It is tremendously practical for your life today. In other words, Jesus didn't just arise to, to, to look at the Pharisees and go, nah, 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 nah. He, he arose so he could impact 2,000 years later your life in my life. I want to give you two big thoughts on this, on the freshness of this. Number one, you can have a fresh start with your relationship with Jesus this morning. Because Jesus is alive, because Jesus walked out of that tomb, you as a Christian can have a fresh start, and many of you need it. Many of you Christians this morning, you really have a relationship with Jesus, but it's flat, it's dull, and it's ineffective. One of the reasons he came back to life was to give you a fresh start. What a beautiful and wonderful thing. And and there's two ideas on this that I think that are pretty significant. Number one, you can have a clean slate. You can have a clean slate. Listen, I want to tell you something I think you know. You're a sinner, and I'm a sinner, and we're all sinners. Sinner means we miss the mark with God. We, we fail. God's standard is perfect. Everybody in here is imperfect. You're either a saved sinner or a lost sinner. What I mean by that, I mean either you're a sinner who belongs to Jesus or you're a sinner who doesn't belong to Jesus, but you're a sinner. And when Jesus Christ died on that cross and he came back to life, he came back to life to provide a cure for your mess and my mess. I was reading this week, and there was a couple of messes that I I thought were pretty monumental. True stories. 2010, there was a lady in England who won the lottery. Now, listen. She won $181 million of lottery. I'm asked frequently by church members, if I win the lottery, will you accept our tithe? And the answer is yes, we will. One hundred eighty-one million dollars. She played the lottery every week. She wrote every week. She would write the lottery numbers down on her calendar. She realized she had won it. When she went to get the ticket, she realized yesterday her husband had thrown away the winning ticket. You know that's not a cause for divorce, but that's certainly a cause for marital counseling. Amen. Oh, honey, I threw away the $181 million winning ticket. Wow. Tiger Woods, everybody here knows who Tiger Woods is. Several years ago, Tiger Woods, it came out that he was having 
a lot of romantic encounters with people who weren't Mrs. Woods. You remember that? Not telling you anything you don't know. You saw this. Um, divorce settlement was $750 million. I think I'd have tried to work that out, wouldn't you? <laughs> $750 million. And listen, some economists say when you throw in possible things that he lost from advertisement and revenue, it, it was in the billions of dollars. I may never get to talk to Tiger Woods, but I'm getting to talk to you this morning. Here's what I want to tell you. Jesus Christ died for that stuff. Jesus Christ came back to life for that stuff. You go, preacher, you don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I did last night. You don't know about the sin in my life. I want to tell you that Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb to provide forgiveness for you. And verse 5 is one of the sweetest verses, and it's easy to miss. Then he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. What, what is this special about Peter here? Peter was one of Jesus' best friends, if you know the story. Very close. And when, when Jesus was going into his final hour of his life, he told Jesus, Peter said, I will stay with you to the very end. If everybody else fails you or forsakes you, I will never leave you. But when it got tough, not once, not twice, but three times, he said, I don't know who Jesus Christ is. And then all the other apostles did the same thing. They deserted him. But it says after Jesus arose, he appeared specifically to Peter. Let me tell you why that is. Because Jesus wanted to go to him and say, Peter, you blew it, but I still love you. I know your heart. I know that you're repentant and I forgive you and all those other guys who had blown it. That's what he wanted to say to them. I forgive you and I want to tell you if you'll embrace it this Easter morning no matter what you have done in your life Christ will forgive you. Isn't that great? He died to forgive you and he arose to have the power to do it. And he did it. Wow. But not only that as a Christian you, you can have a renewed relationship with Jesus. Now, I, I'm not, I don't mean to be too hard and critical, but here's the truth. Many of us need that today. You're, just, you're not where you once were with Jesus. You don't come to church like you once did. You don't serve. You don't give. You don't pray. And, and, and I know it's, it's the music guy's fault. It's the Sunday school teacher's fault. It's the preacher's fault. It's your husband's fault. But no, really and truly, you know, it, it's your fault or my fault if we're not where we should be with God. And one of the sweetest, most wonderful things there is, no matter where you are, how upside down you are with Jesus this morning, if you're willing to come back to him, he's willing to accept you and re-embrace you. Again, in verse 5, he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. Guys, listen, Peter didn't just say, or Jesus didn't say, Peter, we forgive you, but hey, go sit in the back corner. We don't ever want to hear from you again, and we can't use you again. no. Peter and those guys went out and changed the world after this encounter. They were willing to die for Jesus after this encounter. So here's what Jesus is saying to you. You're a Christian today. You've been away from God for two months or for 20 years. Today is a comeback day. It's a fresh start day. I remember hearing a pastor years ago in the church I was saved in. And he talked about, he goes, he goes for some people, they, they became a Christian when they were young, or maybe they became a Christian, and they never really were bad or, or you know, really wild. They just, they came to Christ. It was a beautiful thing. He said, but through the years, they got away from Jesus. And he said, sometimes for those people, that comeback experience 
is even more radical and changing than that initial conversion. Man, I want to tell you this morning, when Jesus walked out of the tomb, he wasn't just whistling and looking at the sky. He was looking for people. He was looking for people to forgive them and restore them. Isn't that cool? You know, you've heard preachers your whole life say, Jesus is in this room today, and he is in this room. You know what? He's looking for you. He's looking for you, Christian, to come back to him. And I want to give you one other thought, and that's this. You, you can get a fresh start for eternity this morning. You see, some of us this morning, we're here, and we believe the right things about Jesus. We, we know the right things, but the truth is, is we don't really know Christ personally. We really don't. We've been baptized. We've been christened, sprinkled. We don't know him personally. And we're in trouble. How many of you remember when the space shuttle Columbia disaster happened? You remember that? It was, it was uh, February the 1st, 2003 is, is when it blew up. And, and if you remember, that actually happened over parts of East Texas and Louisiana. Cindy and I had been here about a month when that happened. Now, here's one of the incredible and incre- just, I mean, almost hard to believe things is that scientists think that that disaster happened on January the 16th at takeoff. A piece of foam broke loose, which had happened before on other shuttles, hit the left wing, and at takeoff, that small damage created enough of a problem that from the get-go, from that point there, those guys, were the seven people on, were going to die. Some of the scientists said that we, we deducted that, but we didn't let that out because there wasn't any way to fix it short of a miracle from God at that point. Can you imagine? I mean, at takeoff, they were, they were destined to die. You know, Romans 3.23 says this. It says, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's, here's a thought or two on that. I think the Bible teaches that we, one, we are born with a sinful nature. If you don't believe me, go to the nursery. You do, you do not have to teach them how to sin, do you? I mean, they'll be hitting each other with blocks. They'll be stealing juice. They're selfish. It's by nature. But we also become sinners by choice, don't we? When we get older, we make choices. Now, a little child who, who dies and never uh, has that opportunity to, to understand what they do with Christ or a, a person who lives and doesn't have the mental capacity to accept Christ, we believe they're under the grace of God. But the rest of us, we're born, we are born with a problem. We're born with a problem. We're separated from God. But there's a fix for that, and that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross. We talked about that last week. But not just dying, Jesus walking out of that tomb. In verse 17 through 20 in in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. In other words, every funeral you've been to where they say, well, Uncle so-and-so's in heaven. Grandma's in heaven. If Jesus didn't come back to life, nobody's in heaven. Verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But look in verse 20. But Christ 
has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. What an awesome thing. You see, what he's saying here is we got a problem. We're separated from God naturally. But Jesus died on the cross. He came back to life. That if we will embrace him as our Lord and Savior, we can know when we leave this earth we're going to heaven. And your family member and friends who were Christians, we know where they are now. And that's one reason Christians ought to try to get as many people as they can to come with them to Jesus. Because this doesn't have to be the end. I read a book about 20 years ago titled, Who Needs God? And, and it was a book by a Jewish rabbi named Harold Kushner. And it's really a pretty good book. It wasn't a question mark. It was a who needs God with an exclamation point. We all need God. But this Jewish rabbi, he did not believe in an afterlife. He didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't believe in an afterlife. He thinks when you die, they bury you. That's it. He had a teenage son that died. And they... they Gave money, and they had a building built, and the building was named after him, and that's awesome. I mean, that's great. That building won't be there in 60, 70 years. Man, don't you want more than just a building named after you? (laughs) Don't you want to know? Because Jesus really did live and really did die and really did walk out of the tomb, that there's hope not only for this life but for the next life. Verse 7, an interesting little verse again. He appeared to James and then all of the apostles. James is Jesus' half-brother. He's not even a Christian. He doesn't buy into it at all until he sees Jesus Christ, who he'd seen killed on Friday. And then he sees him, and no doubt they hug, they touch, they kiss each other on the cheek like they did back then. And he was changed. He became a Christian. He became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, one of the great leaders. Verse 8, here's Paul. And Paul says, last of all, he appeared to me. Paul was a hater. He hated Christians. He hated churches. He killed Christians. He tried to destroy churches. But he came in contact with the resurrected Jesus, and he was saved and changed forever. Friend, it can happen to you this morning. It needs to happen to to, to many of us probably this morning. You need to say, today is the day I'm going to embrace the Jesus who walked out of the tomb. Nineteen eighty-four, a lady named Nancy Robinson got on an airplane in Abilene, Texas, and she was going to Dallas. And that's—I've been on those flights before. It's kind of like catching a plane in Monroe and flying to Dallas. You know, it's a small plane. You're sitting like this next to the person, and she noticed that, that looking at him, that he was from the Middle East, and so they began to talk, and they. Uh, you know, shared their names, and she she asked him, what brings you to Abilene? Well, I'm here going to college, and I'm a missionary for Islam. I'm I'm a missionary for Islam, and, uh, you know, that that was 1984, so that was surprising, and he was, uh, he said, I'm going home. I'm from Saudi Arabia. I'm I'm leaving now. I'm catching a flight in Dallas. I'm going home for for uh, the spring break. And, of course, that was right around Easter, and she wasn't thinking, and she said, uh, well, what are you going to do for Easter? That's not what you ask a Muslim. <laughs> and, um, and he said, we don't celebrate Easter. I don't celebrate Easter. He said, but while I'm home, I'm going to Medina. Medina in Saudi Arabia is the second holiest site to a Muslim. It is where 
Muhammad is buried. We have a, we have a picture. He's, he's buried under the green dome. He said, I'm going on a pilgrimage to Medina to where Muhammad's buried. And, and she's trying to keep the conversation going. And she said, well, someday I want to go to Jerusalem. I never have been, you know, to where, where, uh, to, that's our holy city. And he looked back at her, kind of sarcastic, and said, why do you want to go there? There's nothing there but an empty tomb. And so she's trying to figure out what to say. You know, she, she ran into the same problem I do. I think of all the great answers 30 minutes later. Do you ever do that? And, and so uh, she's trying to keep the conversation again. She asked him, how far is it from Medina to Jerusalem? He said, I don't know. And, and uh, he said, but why would you want to go to Jerusalem? All that's there is an empty tomb. Well, they, they got off the plane and said goodbye, and she went one way and he went the other, and she's walked through the airport thinking, what could I have said? What, everything's going through her mind. And then she said, all of a sudden, it dawned on her. That's the whole point. That's all that there is in Jerusalem is an empty tomb. There it is. I've been in there. There is nothing in that tomb. You go, and, you go back and you honor the place where your religious founder is buried. We go back and he ain't there. And she said she looked for him. She looked for him, you know, but, but he was already gone. And she said, people must have thought I was crazy because I'm walking through the airport and said, the tomb is empty. He's not there. And I want to tell you, he's not there. He is arisen and he is alive and he wants to embrace you this morning. If you'll let him. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, man, I challenge you, let this be a watermark day in your life. Receive God's forgiveness. Come back to Jesus today. Let him renew you and restore you. And if you're not a Christian, man, what a day, what a day to give your life to Jesus. Where you're seated, would you pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want want you to forgive me, Lord. Jesus, I accept your God's Son and that you died for me. and, And Jesus, I'm willing to accept that you came back to life. Come into my heart. And I ask you this morning to save me. And I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention just for a moment. We're going to stand in just a second. And I want to challenge you today to to embrace Jesus. Christian, maybe you. Maybe today you ought to, where you're standing, or maybe you ought to leave your seat and come to the altar, come pray with a minister, and receive that forgiveness God wants to give you. Maybe today you need to to make this a comeback time to Christ in your life. Christian, do that. Maybe this morning you're ready to join our church family. We would love for you to do that. And one way you can do it, when we stand, as you come, there'll be a minister down here. You can do this after church, but you can do it now. You can come and join us.
Or maybe today you prayed and asked Christ in your heart. Or maybe you're ready to. What a, what a day, April 5th, 2015, Easter Sunday, the day that you were saved. Let it be. Let it be. Jesus is alive, but you got to embrace him. Will you do it? Let's stand. And as we sing, you come this morning. We'll be down here waiting on you.